Welcome to the PJ Pod, brought to you by the team behind the Pharmaceutical Journal. Through this channel, we hope to keep you one step ahead of all of the developments in pharmacy, medicines, and the pharmaceutical sciences. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted many things we previously took for granted. And in this episode, our reporter Corinne Burns will be looking into how the pandemic has prompted hard questions to be asked about how we educate and train future pharmacists. I think what we have seen through the pandemic is the fragility of having one endpoint assessment and everything geared towards that. She's heard from those at the sharp end of changes made to training this year and explores the lessons that can be learnt from the experiences of what we're calling Pharmacy's Generation Covid. This has been the toughest ever year for those attempting to enter the pharmacy profession. Pre-registration trainees had their placements interrupted by the Covid-19 pandemic and the exam they were due to take in June has been delayed by nine months. Then, they were given the unique status of provisionally registered or pro-reg pharmacists, which means that they have all the responsibilities of a normally registered pharmacist, but only temporarily. Finally, they have worked the first year during a pandemic, often delivering vaccinations and coping with long hours. They've done this whilst preparing for a completely unknown new style of online exam, an exam that will determine whether they can stay on in the profession permanently. In this podcast, we wanted to find out how ProRegers have found this extraordinary experience. Two of them recorded audio diaries for us, in which they've shared their day-to-day lives, their thoughts about the exam and about their future beyond. So I'm recording this one um, in the evening at home. I... I've had quite a busy day today, so yeah, quite tired, a bit more than usual, and coffee can only do so much. So that was my day today, it'll be exactly the same tomorrow, um, and I'll check in with you all in a couple of days. This is Andrew and Regan, they're both provisional registrants, Andrew based in a hospital and Regan is a PCN pharmacist. We also wanted to explore the implications of their experiences as the General Pharmaceutical Council introduces big changes, such as the new foundation year that you will have already heard about, to the education and training of pharmacists from this summer. But before we do all of that, let's hear from our ProReg audio diarists themselves. The other pharmacist that works kind of in my surgery is really busy with vaccine stuff at the minute, so a lot of the work is falling to me. Um, I'm kind of doing the workload of, of two people. Um, so yeah, so that was, was my day, really busy. Um, I started my day this morning at half past five. The band six is basically just concerned about obviously losing the job, losing the salary, and just exactly what that would mean in terms of what would we be allowed to do? Would there be any sort of provision to give us a job as uh, doing kind of more technician things? or just go back to being a pre-reg, you know, but it is just hard to... The situation with pro-registration pharmacists this year is quite complicated, so here's a quick recap. Last summer, the registration assessment was delayed 
Understandably, a room jam-packed full of would-be pharmacists was not considered a good idea during a pandemic. As a result, the General Pharmaceutical Council announced it was setting up a provisional register for those who would have taken the exam last year. Pro-regs could work as, essentially, qualified pharmacists until they were able to sit the final registration assessment in 2021. The postponed exam will take place on the 17th and 18th of March 2021, with candidates sitting the exam in COVID-secure test centres or in a few special cases at home. Andrew and Regan both spoke of trying to find time to study for this exam. So revision after a full day of work is really difficult. Obviously, when you're a pre-reg, you get a lot of time. Like during the day, you get a lot of study time. But when you work full time, you just don't have that kind of opportunity. And like my work's really good and they do give me like as much as they can. But it's still it's still really different from when I was a pre-reg. I'm quite lucky in that I've got a couple of weeks booked off and leave for the exam because I kept my days. But I'm lucky to have that. There's obviously, I would imagine most pro-regers probably don't have that. And I know a lot of my colleagues in the trust are still having to do weekend shifts and on-calls. And that's really not conducive to getting revision in, even if you do, say, get a day back from an on-call or a weekend. A day in the middle of a six-day week is... You need that as recovery time, really. Like many others, Regan is also balancing family life with the demands of work and with studying for the assessment. I started my day this morning at half past five with my kids. Uh, had to get them ready and get them off to their kind of child minor in school and stuff. Now I'm finished work, I've got to go pick my kids up. I've got to homeschool then for a little bit. Um, and then once my kids are in bed, then it'll be time to do some revision and then sleep and then start it all over again <laughs> tomorrow in terms of how I'm feeling, tired. I think my entire cohort are probably just tired. Then, of course, there are worries about the exam itself. It just feels quite different to the potential to fail as a pre-reg where that's kind of always stipulated and employers are aware that might happen. I'm probably prepared to take you on for a bit longer um, to actually have that job, then lose it and then potentially never get it back is very weird. We can hear from Regan and Andrew just how tough things are, and I expect their experience will resonate with a lot of pro-regs across the sectors. However, both Andrew and Regan said that their teams had been supportive. So, what has this year been like for those giving that support? Janet Whittam is a trainer of pre-regs and now provisionally registered pharmacists in Salford, Greater Manchester. I think it was trepidation at the beginning, nobody really understood. <laughs> what being a provisional registrant was going to mean to them. But I think from our point of view, it was a reassurance to them that they were going to be treated like a band six pharmacist. So they would have the same sort of induction programme that we would do with any new starter in the trust. And then they'd be started on a rotation. And obviously there's those provisos of things we wouldn't be expecting them to do. Can you tell me a bit about what kind of support's been you've been offering for the providers in where you work? Yeah, so we've um, obviously they've all got their individual tutors and then we did a buddy scheme with a band six. So people that remembered (laughs) what it was like to be a newly qualified pharmacist. Um, We also, Salford is part of the Northern Care Alliance and the other trusts in the alliance have also got pro-regs. So we organised some um, online webinars so they could have some support in some clinical areas with online training and also a chance to speak with each other and share 
experiences if that's what they required. Um, other than that, we made sure that at the beginning of the year, the ward was always with another person, if you like, in brackets. So they didn't feel worried about who to contact if they had a question. There was a named person on a daily basis who was like their day to day until they felt more confident and had settled into the ward area uh, and settled into the routine. The GPHC stipulates that all pro-regs have to have guidance and direction from a senior pharmacist who monitors their development. In England, pro-regs were also offered additional support from an optional interim foundation programme. This gave them access to online resources, including an e-portfolio from the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. The e-portfolio allowed pro-regs to collate evidence and reflections on their learning and to self-assess how they were doing. Now this interim programme comes ahead of the introduction of a mandatory UK-wide scheme that's going to be for all newly qualified pharmacy graduates. That's going to replace the current pre-registration training year from this summer. I think it's really good that we've had people stepping in with the foundation programme and that CPP for the community pro-regs have made that available and, you know, all the communications that have gone out to support these people, um, I think has been a really positive step showing that, you know, you, you're not the forgotten year. We, we're all very, we're very much here to support you. Most pro regs in England, nearly 1,800 at the last count, had signed up to the interim programme. The Royal Pharmaceutical Society led on its curriculum. I spoke with Gail Fleming, Director for Education and Professional Development at the RPS, about how she thought the scheme had gone. Because we do provide the e-portfolio, we can see how people are engaging with it. One of the tools that's in there is a learning needs analysis, and we can see that there's been really high engagement with that. So I think that's really positive that we can see people are looking at, where are my gaps? What do I need to do? What do I need to focus on? The next step is how do you address those? And we don't see as high an uptake in terms of using some of the formative work-based assessments as you would normally expect to see at this stage, but I do think that's probably reflective of the timing of the assessment. Um, Health Education have commissioned a team to undertake an evaluation of the programme, so that will give us the answers in terms of how successful it's been. So we'll wait to see what the results are of that. So the pro-regs, in England anyway, have had a sort of dry run of the type of programme that all pharmacy graduates across the UK will experience from this summer. As we already said, this is part of a larger restructure of the education and training of new pharmacists brought about by the GPHC. The aim is to ensure that all newly qualified pharmacists have more clinical experience and are better able to adapt to working in the modern NHS. In fact, the plan is for it eventually to include training for all new pharmacists to become independent prescribers upon registration. So in the past, foundation has meant newly qualified pharmacists, so those in their early careers. But moving forward from this summer, foundation will refer to the paid that we previously described as pre-reg. The RPS, as we mentioned before, we have a, a what was our foundation um, curriculum, which sets out what should be the learning outcomes that people would achieve in that newly qualified period. Um, we have used that as a framework to support for those who will be newly qualified pharmacists. 
But as the new educa- initial education training standards come in, what we will see are parts of that curriculum will slowly start to shift back into those first five years. So we've done a mapping exercise and we can see that particularly the clinical domains and the uh, communication, collaborative working relationships, those two elements of the current newly qualified curriculum will move back into those first five years. But there will still be a need to focus on the other domains, so education, leadership and research, which don't have as much of a focus in the new standards. So we can clearly see where there still needs to be support for our newly qualified pharmacists there. If we then look to what happens in, let's call it year five, so new foundation, what are the changes that will happen there? Um, So the new initial education training standards have now been published by the General Pharmaceutical Council. And what we wait to hear is about what happens in terms of um, implementation of those. Those new standards do include prescribing. So we know that at this stage, it would not be possible to implement them from this summer because we need to have changes to the prescribing regulations to enable people to start prescribing when they are less than two years qualified, which is the current requirements. So there's an option to look at whether you have a modified version of those or whether you continue with the existing performance standards until those regulations have changed. So I would expect we should hear from the regulator and get some clarity on that in the very near future. I generally think it's uh, a good thing. I think it's the step we need to pull things closer together and regardless of your sector and also look at additional people doing multi-sector working. I have a massive, as an employer, I have a massive fear that we'll be overburdening people with the need for assessments and for feedback. And I just don't think there's a lot of places with the right infrastructure. I think large organisations may have it. Um, I do worry about smaller organisations. I think my main concern is as we try and put prescribing in there, you know, I think there's so many questions really. It's not a concern, it's a question. It's a, what are we going to do about? How am I going to get enough hours, enough people, enough people willing to be tutors if I'm asking an awful lot more of them than I'm asking now? We've got a long way to step ourselves to being like the medics where we anticipate that as soon as you qualify, you start training somebody else. The biggest stress on ProReggers this year is that, unlike medical students, they have one sit-down exam that is the gateway to the profession. Between 72 and 86% of pharmacy graduates pass the registration assessment each year. But for Andrew and Regan, and others who have been in the job for nearly a year, it feels particularly high stakes. I do understand the patient safety side and the GPHC side that every pharmacist should meet a minimum standard. And I'm not sure there is a better solution to that than examining us in some way. But it just seems a bit strange that there's the pressure of losing the job I've been doing for eight months without any sort of complaints um, over a few questions on an exam. It's just a stress and I know a lot of my colleagues feel the same way. It's really kind of stressful. It's like a black cloud just hanging over you all the time. You know this exam's coming, you're counting down for it. Um, But you just don't have the time that you did when you were pre-reg to to study for it. And also you're you're a lot more tired. Me personally, I'm a lot more tired than I was when I was a pre-reg. I think within hospital we are kind of feeling that we've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills that don't necessarily translate to the exam particularly well. 
So a lot of the exam is based around OTC stuff, legal stuff, supply things, which we don't really come across that often. And also we're probably not going to test at our best at the minute just because of the obvious situation. Um, so it is quite hard to learn stuff totally away from what we do normally. The GPHC has said that it is looking at changing the timing of the registration exam, but nothing is confirmed yet about how this might change in the light of the wider changes being made to pharmacy education. We can certainly say that the last year has been eventful to say the least. In some ways the circumstances were exceptional and not representative of what the future foundation year will be like when it takes on its first cohort this summer. But it has highlighted some deficiencies in the support offered to pharmacy graduates before they enter the profession. And, as you have heard, it also raises fundamental questions around the registration assessment itself. There are still decisions to be made and changes yet to come. But what this year has shown, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is the commitment, resilience and ability of our provisional registrants. The contribution that this group of trainees has made, they have had such a difficult time. As I say, you could never have imagined what they've got in. They've stepped up and done above and beyond. And I think as a profession, I just want to take this opportunity to thank them um, once again for everything that they've done and continue to be. They will be the future of the profession and, and what a resilient group they are. That's a really nice comment from Gail. I think a lot of other people would echo those sentiments as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, and listening to the words really brings home just how difficult this year has been for people like Andrew and Regan. Why have ProRegis had to wait so long for this exam? Well, the GPHC, like everyone else, they've been thrust into an unprecedented situation. They've had to organise a new online exam in just a few months. They have said that they are very aware of the significant stress and pressures that ProRegis have experienced during this pandemic, but they also make the point that the registration assessment is, they say, the most effective method to maintain standards for entry to the pharmacist register. And they also say that it plays a key part in providing assurance to the public that pharmacists have the knowledge and skills needed to practice safely and effectively. So that's that's the GPHC stance on this. Although, of course, everything that we've heard just in this programme has been that, that this exam does have deficiencies and actually the exam may not be the best way of showing that a graduate is prepared to become a fully qualified pharmacist. Well, in any event, it does certainly this year in particular seem to have caused quite a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And just incidentally, there's been even more drama about the exam just as we were recording this podcast. What hasn't there, Corinne? That's right. In the last few days, the GPHC has apologised to candidates for problems that many of them have faced booking an assessment. It seems like many candidates, particularly those based in Scotland, have had difficulty booking at an assessment centre near to where they live leaving many of them to say that they risk having to travel hundreds of miles, potentially, during a a global pandemic, which obviously isn't ideal. Um, That also comes on top of a previous issue that faced candidates um, based overseas, uh, many of whom were told that they wouldn't be able to sit the assessment in their home countries, having previously been told that they would be. That issue does now appear to have been resolved, but obviously it was stressful enough for the candidates at the time. So it's fair to say that at the time of recording, there are quite a few people demanding answers of the GPHC. So over the past year, obviously the pandemic has really mangled things, hasn't it, in in many areas of life, not just pharmacy education. 
But as we slowly return back to normal, whatever normal is, what lessons do you think we can draw from the past 12 months? I think we can say that perhaps better support could be offered to pharmacy graduates. The RPS has long called for protected study time to be offered by employers, and that's for all stages of your career, not just in the early careers. But that's something that I think has been particularly highlighted speaking to Andrew and Regan for this podcast. And I think protected study time could be um, crucial to take forward into foundation training from this summer. And the exam? Well, as we've heard today, there are people who would quite like to see the timing and perhaps the nature of assessment change. Um, Perhaps the foundation year might be better assessed through evidence collected throughout training, just as it is with doctors. But as of yet, nothing's been decided and we'll just have to keep our eye on that one. I think the last thing to say is we must wish all those taking the registration exam this year the very best of luck. They've had a really raw deal and I really do hope that they get a fair crack of the whip this year. Absolutely. And we wish all the best of luck to Andrew, Regan and to everybody else in their situation. So that's it for today. Thank you to everyone who's generously given their time to speak with us for this podcast. And also thank you, Corinne, for doing such a great job in researching it. Well, I certainly could have done it without the help of all of our contributors. So I'm hugely grateful to those. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to download the latest podcasts from the PJ Pod. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to PJ Pod, brought to you by the Pharmaceutical Journal, the official journal of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. You can join the RPS, the equivalent of 50 pence per day. Just search RPS membership to find out more. Mm-hmm.